0: Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Cogar Center Arts Roundup. You're listening to the Cogar Center Arts Roundup. Our special guest today is Lydia Pappas. She works for the University of South Carolina's Moving Image Archives at the Thomas Cooper Library. Uh, thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Lovely to be here. Thanks for asking me.
0: Lydia, what is your title in, at the, uh, as a part of the archives? Uh,
1: at the moment, I am the Interim Director of Moving Image Research Collections.
0: And can you give us a little bit of the history of how, these collect, you know, how the collection came to be a part of the university?
1: Yes, certainly I can. Um, well, originally it all started in the late 70s um, when the Fox Corporation was actually looking looking to get rid of its newsreel collections, which went back to um, the very first newsreel, which was Fox News, um, the original Fox News. It was a silent newsreel, and it went from 1919, through to about 1930, and then it turned into a sound newsreel, which they called Fox Movie Tone News, which actually started about um, 1927, I believe, 28, um, and then went through uh, into, uh, I believe, the 1950s. And Fox at that time um, was well aware, like many uh, uh, film archives around the world and many production studios and film places out in LA, that uh, nitrate was a very combustible material. And there were many fires in the 70s and 80s that actually destroyed a a large quantity of uh, our heritage film. So uh, Fox really didn't want to pay the money to store its films properly. So they decided they were going to give it away. And at that time, um, there was a, a man at the university called Jim Jackson who had been making, um, uh, with the help of TV, some series of films with Lowell Thomas, who was the voice of um, Fox Movie Tone News. And they'd been looking back at the years of the news films and you know, doing a kind of Remember when series that they were showing on television, which showed a lot of this collection. So basically, negotiations started between the university, you know, with President Holderman and with Jim Jackson kind of leading the way, talking to Fox about us possibly getting this huge collection of film. And at the time, we were get gonna get the entire collection, which literally ran from 1919 through to the 50s and uh, we started getting it and then in the early 80s there was a hostile takeover of Fox and they suddenly decided that they didn't want to give their entire collection away for free (laughs) so they stopped so therefore we have this kind of incomplete collection that goes from 1919 through to about 1932 and then we have a, a bunch of film from the, the later war years. So I think from about 1942 to about 1945. Um, and then the rest of the film, they basically held back, kept for a long long period of time and, um, and now Library of Congress has it. So it's this kind of split up collection. Uh, but the, the best thing about this collection, which I love the most is the fact that um, it's all the, uh, what we call outtakes. So um, basically back in the day, you know, Fox who had cameramen stationed around the world would send out their cameraman to cover, you know, news or whatever was going on. And they would shoot, you know, tons of footage. They would get as much great footage as they can and send it back to New York and it would all get stored in the big warehouses there. But, you know, they would take all those bits of footage and they would assemble them into a newsreel and you would get maybe six, eight, ten stories, which might be a minute or two each. But they might have had, you know, for example, half an hour or an hour's worth of footage for that two minute of news. So we got all the complete cans of footage. So that could be for each story, you know, half an hour of material, most of which was never ever seen because it never made it into the newsreel. So, um, so the Fox collection, which is absolutely huge, is millions, literally millions of feet of film. I think it's about 10 million feet of film in this huge collection. So that's basically what started the collection off. We got that collection. We then became, a, um, we were called the News Film Archive then because that was the only collection. And then, you know, lots of people after that, you know, this was a very famous event. It made the, the university famous. You know, a lot of people knew we had taken this collection in. So in the following years, you know, many people got in touch with us and were like, oh, we hear you have the Fox collection. Do you want X, Y, and Z? So, you know, that started us off and kick us collecting film. And it kind of snowballed from there. And um, now we have many collections, some very diverse, mainly what we're trying to do is just collect film that falls outside of the Hollywood sphere. Most people know film, they think of film, they think of Hollywood or even Bollywood or, you know, basically feature films, fiction films. But there are, you know, just so much film that falls outside of that realm. You know, it could be Um, scientific films, home movies, you know, films that were shown in schools, films that were used for teaching purposes for, you know, everybody from industry to police to, you know, so many people around the world who were taught through the medium of film and not just school children, you know, to documentaries or, you know, artists made films or, you know, just, So many genres I could go on to name, you know, like news film or like local television news that just aren't fiction, that aren't feature films. So, you know, our remit is basically to collect anything outside of that, really, which kind of encompasses a lot.
0: (laughs) How do you store all of this? Because uh, a a lot of what you're describing is actual film. Um, Yes. And and you're digitizing it as a part of the saving of it?
1: Definitely, and we've always, you know, our main remit is to preserve it and to conserve it and to, you know, carry it through to future generations. You know, we know we already have, you know, film that's over 100 years old. We know film can last 100 years, at least, if not longer. You know, we'll see about longer. But, you know, film has been around as a medium for, you know, probably 130 years now. So we know that it will last, but you have to keep it in good condition and you have to help to conserve it and you have to preserve it. And so that's really what we do. And digitization is an aspect of that. Our main aspect is to make it accessible to everyone. And it's a great medium for that. And in some cases it can preserve the film because, you know, this film, uh, you know, my old boss used to say film is like milk. You know, if you keep it cold, you will preserve it for longer, but eventually it will go off. So, you know, we will preserve it for as long as we can. Eventually, you know, it it will just, you know, go. So in the meantime, if we can make really good copies, and that's part of the preservation process, and that's what digitization is, making an exact copy as we can in a digital form, so it will preserve the original, it will make the original accessible, but we're still trying to keep the original because who knows how long digitized files are going to last. Who knows how we're going to be able to preserve them in the future? Who knows if we can access them in 100 years? But the film we can access in 100 years. So, so yeah, it's a double-edged sword there. It's helping us, but, you know, who knows how reliable it is? So we're doing what we can to actually keep the original elements as in as best as quality as we can, which... Weirdly enough you know in this part of the world is one of our biggest problems because the worst things for film is high temperatures and high humidity and hello look where we live so um you know and it's being able to keep the film at stable temperature and humidity levels all the time and that's where our biggest bills come in is uh through hvac systems and um trying to keep them cold and dry at all times which is very difficult
0: in this part of the world
1: but we are doing our best.
0: Is the storage itself in the library or do you have off-site storage?
1: So we are not actually in Thomas Cooper Library. We're actually a little bit off campus down by um, the Greek Village and over by Whaley Street. So we have our own building there and that is where we do keep the safety film. So we have a Three volts actually in the building in a big warehouse, and the safety film is kept there. But the nitrate film, which the majority of the Fox collection is, we actually keep out of Fort Jackson because it is combustible and it is dangerous. So uh, we rent some um, bunkers off of Fort Jackson uh, where we keep our nitrate film. So, um, so yeah, they are literally uh, they're Cold War ammo bunkers that are like you know um, half underground uh, concrete where they used to keep all the ammo stores and uh they they rent
0: them to us for cheap so but <laughs> that's, that's fantastic i had no idea um, can you tell us just a bit about what is what happens when you digitize film like what is that process because um in my mind film is a series of uh, little pictures on a string that you run at a certain speed um yeah. are you taking stills of each of those, uh, or are you running them and recording it as a video?
1: Exactly. So we used to, you know, back in the day, the only way you could, you know, make a copy of a film was putting it through a telecine system. And we still have those machines and they'll probably go on display as archaic models uh, eventually. Um, but yeah, it was a, a, an analog system where you would run the film through a machine. It would turn it into a video signal so that you could copy it onto a videotape. And that was the only way we had of actually copying the film, um, which we did for many years. And we have hundreds of actual video cassettes of copies of film, which in some cases is the only copy we have left because sometimes the the film disintegrates so much, you know, we can't save it. So we've actually kept those videotapes, you know, as a kind of secondary source, just in case that's all we have left. Um, So nowadays, obviously, you have scanners. Scanners are a lot more powerful, and what they actually do is take a physical picture of every single frame and then join them all together so you get, you know, what is a a moving image of every single frame, rather than the early scanners would just kind of, you know, roll photographs as they went along so it was, uh, you know, very much a moving line. The new scanners now are, um, take very high-resolution images of each and every single frame, and we actually film on a overscan. So what we do is we scan the entire film, so that includes the sprockets, you know, the sound on the side of the film, because we're trying to get an exact representation of the actual film. So that means every frame, every portion of the frame, so that you know, if we do lose the film, we could maybe try and recreate it because you can print from a digital film onto an actual film so hopefully if we get as high a resolution as we can of an exact copy of the actual film it's kind of a backup of in case something actually happens to the film so you know it's a belt and braces model
0: are you able to describe to me because i don't know and i've always wondered how, how is the audio encoded on film and and what's what causes the audio to come off the film when you're running it through a film projector like i know that sounds this may be a way too technical a question but I've yeah for
1: me i have another curator who could tell you all about that because he recently um had a grant to um, uh, basically re-encode that film image, because you have several different types of um, soundtracks on film, and the early scanners that were built couldn't read the soundtracks, they could only read the images because, like I said, they were just, you know, doing the rolling images, they weren't doing single individual frames. So um, he actually got a grant from the NEH, and with the uh, mathematics department here at the university, they created um, an algorithm to take those physical pictures of the soundtrack and to turn it back into sound uh, using mathematical models. Don't ask me how, that's totally beyond my knowledge. He could tell you all about it because he was very hands-on with the the writing of this this mathematical code to to be able to do that. And there's film archives around the world who maybe can't afford a scanner that can read the the soundtrack. They use, because we made that um, software-free to everyone all over the world. So I've met people from all over the world who use our software in their, their film archives because they have a very limited budget and, you know, the sound head on a film scanner just makes it that much more expensive because this equipment is ridiculously expensive. You know, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars for... Each single film scanner and you know after a few years it goes out of date because you know first people only wanted you know um sd and then they wanted hd and now they want 2k and now they want 4k and we're going up to 8k you know it it goes on you know like like we did before we went from film onto videotapes and first there was pneumatics and then vhs's and then there was you know, DVDs and then, you know, there's always a new format and that's part and parcel of the archive world is that you're always migrating to a new format. Just when you think you've, you know, done a lot of this work, you know, five years down the line, you've got to start all over again.
0: And Um, as you get higher definition, the storage you need must skyrocket. So how do you keep uh, that organized and where do you store, how does that work? That seems like an undertaking of its own
1: i know and that's you know one of our biggest problems because you know scanners um the higher the resolution the bigger the files and you know we have to store all these files and store them forever so it's like we've got a double storage problem we still have to store the original film we still have to store every scan that comes off and several you know times you get different iterations of that scan so you might get the absolute raw master file that comes off it then you have to make other flavors you know, for if a client wants a MOV file, or they want a ProRes, or they want this out of the other, or the computer you work on can only do this kind of file. So you end up having to make several versions of from that original file, which you then also have to keep. So, you know, you have all of this stuff that you have to store for, you know, forever, pretty much. So and um, when it comes to the original scan, yeah, you know, it's like one single film could be hundreds of gigs for a, you know, a short... 10 minute film, you know, especially if you're going up as far as even two or 4k, then, you know, it's, it's ridiculous sizes. So, um, so yeah, that's something that we've always struggled with. Um, and the, the higher the resolution standards go ahead, the, the more, you know, it's a problem for us because, um, you know, it's very hard to get, funding for a lot of what we do. And um, people never want to store, you know, things like uh, they never want to fund things like, um, you know, sand servers, or, you know, backup servers, or any of the really technical equipment that you really need to To basically help what you do Um, and that includes everything from you know we've recently upgraded our fiber system because um, as you can imagine moving even you know a, a file that's a couple of hundred gigs from one side of the building to the other you know if you want to take it from the scanning the scanning room into the production room you know sending it from one room to the other is a nightmare and then sending it somewhere else to a client or uploading it or send it to the data center at USC for a backup. All these things are, you know, uh, a bugbear for what we do on a daily basis. So um, at the moment, we've been storing a lot of our material with Amazon Web Services um, because, you know, we just basically ran out of space at Merck. So um, we have obviously our, our local server uh, in the building. Um, we're looking at, you know getting more space with the data center. And then a large majority of our files are actually with Amazon, which in this lockdown has actually proven advantage because if that hadn't been the case, we wouldn't have been able to access them. So um, we're actually still supplying a lot of people, you know, whether it's clients or researchers or professors at USC, we can still send them files because they're, Remote and somewhere else, and we can still get hold of them. So, um, so yeah, that's actually proved quite a blessing in more ways than one. So, um, yeah, that helps us a lot.
0: And you're still actively uh, collecting films, if I understand you correctly. And so,
1: Absolutely. yeah, um, in a home movie collection the other day.
0: When you get them, are you starting to get things just digitally nowadays? Because people aren't shooting. On film, or are you only collecting things that are actually on film?
1: We're only collecting on film, and we're even turning down video at this point because um, you know a lot of people try to come with us uh, to us with home movies on video, and sometimes they can be huge collections, and we just don't really have the capacity to take care of that. So we are really limiting ourselves to just collecting film at the moment until, you know, certainly if storage improves, then we could take in more stuff. But there's plenty of films still out there, you know, literally rotting away in people's attics or basements or, you know, closets that, you know, we'd be happy to take in. So um, yeah, there's plenty
0: out there. (laughs) Can you tell us about the collection? So I understand that it started with the Fox uh, News movie to Unreal's and today you've got tons of stuff. Um, Can you give us an overview of the different sort of genres, how you parcel the different kinds of films together from a...
1: I know, and it's a, a very disparate group. So yeah. it started with Fox Movie Tone and um now it's blossomed into kind of five major areas. So we have the news reels and um or news collection really, because that also includes local television news. So I think that's WIS, WBTX, um W L. TW? I know, I'm I'm not afraid with all the W um, TV stations that we have. Um, We have some material from ETV. Um, Yeah, Um, so news collection is one of them. Uh, Chinese film collection is another one, and that's another odd story that I shall tell you. Um, Regional films is our other collection, and that includes... um, So many of these collections have smaller collections within the collection. So uh, Regional Films uh, covers home movies even though many of them weren't actually shot in this region they were shot in a region and they're you know connected to a region um but many of them came to us because obviously people moved to this region and brought their home movies with them but it also includes things that were shot in this region which could be films that were made by the university or by institutions like um South Carolina Arts Commission, for example, or um, Department of Agriculture, or you know any institutions or entities from South Carolina or even from the Southeast. Um, so that includes those, and um, you know lots of university films. So that even includes you know the athletics department for the university or anything else that was shot by the university. You know, guest lectures, commencements you know, all of that kind of material, that's all included as well. Um, we also have a science and nature collection, um, which started with the Roman Vishniac films and also includes what is now, I think, DNR, Department of Natural Resources. Um, so we have all their wildlife films, which is, you know, basically, they filmed the flora and fauna of South Carolina over, you know, a couple of decades. So we have those films as well. What am I missing out? How many is that? That's
0: four. Is that four? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The other one then. Military? <laughs> oh yes, of course. Our latest collection. Yes. So our military films. Good, good one. <laughs> so um, a few years ago, uh, the United States Marine Corps Um, decided, uh, well, basically they built a whole new museum and they didn't have room to move the films that they had been collecting through their history division. Um, They didn't have room to rehouse them and so they were looking around for people to take them off their hands because it's a very expensive business and um, both Library of Congress and NARA wanted to take the collections, but basically wanted to split them up or cherry pick the best bits out of them. And, you know, didn't want to take them as a whole. So, um, it's an odd story, but basically they heard about us from a producer, um, a documentary producer that we'd worked with a lot over the years. Um, who happened to be friends with somebody in the history department at, you know, the United States Marine Corps and um, told them about us and said, we take film. So we started negotiations with them and decided we were going to take in the United States Marine Corps film collection. Um, It's now a repository because it's made by the United States government. Obviously, it's public domain, so it's not something that we can own (laughs) so um so basically we are looking after it for the marine corps you know we have an agreement um we provide them with copies when they need it so um that was our main advantage over being able to get this collection was you know, to have a very good relationship with them in which we could supply them with films for anniversaries that they need and, you know, history and research that they're continually doing. So um, basically they are sending us all their film, which is a huge, huge collection, you know, maybe as much as 30,000 cans of film. And and we're getting it piecemeal. We haven't had a shipment for a while for obvious reasons, but um, I think at the last count, we'd already received at least 18,000 cans of film over the last... Two years, I believe, and had to build an entirely new vault to house it in because, you know, obviously we did not have the room to take in that many films. So, um, luckily, you know, our fundraising department at the university and at university libraries, um, the development is, is, you know very much on our side and helped us to fundraise to get the money to build a new vault so we could take in the collection. And, um, and it'll probably take us, you know, years to process the, the collection because, you know, as you asked me before, the, the route from a film to a digital image is actually, you know, quite long and arduous. And depending on the film, what condition it's in, but basically, you know, we need to get that film <laughs> Usually we need to recan it, rehouse it. You know, we actually go through and check every frame. We roll through every single film that comes into our collections. We clean it. You know, we check it for bad splices, for sprocket holes that are damaged, for any damage on the film at all. It has to be cleaned from start to finish by hand, um, which is when we can assess what the content is. You know, and all the information we need about film is it black and white is it color what condition is it in does it smell you know everything that needs to be done um and then we can start going through and creating a catalog record um we can you know basically see what's condition it's in then we can decide whether or not we are going to scan it and digitize it because we can't scan everything we can't digitize everything we don't have the capacity we don't have the storage space so you know obviously what we do digitize is on a piecemeal basis depending on you know does somebody want it you know um, does it need to be done because it's in bad condition you know is it part of a wider project Um, you know many different reasons that call for it to be digitized or not but everything still has to be cleaned and prepped and made ready to digitize even if they're not going to be before they get put back into the vault so, um, so that's a process that could last you know, hours or days, depending on the condition of the film, and that has to happen for every single reel that we get coming in.
0: Can you tell us the interesting story about how we ended up with the Chinese film collection as a part of the uh, archive okay. collection?
1: Definitely. So, you know, another same story. And a lot of these stories are very much linked by, um, you know, who we know and who know us. And that's why we get these collections, because people have heard about us and and bring them to us. So um, another coincidental meeting, um, it it was from the, um, we got the films from the Chinese embassy in um, Washington, D.C., and basically, and, um, and this is true of a lot of embassies around the world, uh, you know, they get collections of films which are, you know, to show off their country to whatever country they're stationed in. So, you know, there are many collections from many different countries in embassies around the world. And in the Chinese embassy in Washington, um, apparently they were moving buildings and found you know, these thousand films in their basement and were like, oh, we're just gonna check them out. Um, so as it turned out, there was, um, uh, we have the Confucius Institute here on site at the university and uh, um, the director of the Confucius Institute was actually having dinner with somebody from the Chinese embassy in Washington um, for a conference or something, I believe and got talking and you know uh, this person said they were going to throw these films out and you know um, um the confus institute director uh, professor tanya said well hey we have a film archive down in south carolina maybe they would want them so basically you know arranged for us to take in these films which as far as i know is the biggest collection of chinese film outside of china so um it's another odd collection it's you know pretty much what obviously the Chinese government wanted to show to the world. So um, you could almost say it's kind of propaganda from their end. But uh, it's mainly documentaries with a handful of, you know, some of their most famous feature films, which um, uh, and some uh, some animation as well, some you know children's films, but I would say probably at least eighty percent documentaries that were meant to you know show to Americans what China is like. Um, you know, hey, why don't you bring your business to Beijing or Shanghai or these other cities or, you know, just an idea of also Chinese culture. So there's a lot of films about their traditional cultures or certain cities or, you know, certain, um, certain arts and crafts that were going on at the time. Um, and, you know, and, and lots of other sort of, you know, hey, this place is great or look how wonderful this place is or look at our beautiful scenery you know lots of that kind of stuff so it's um it's interesting because uh the majority of the films are from the seventies and eighties um with a handful from the sixties fifties and um yeah, I think they don't go beyond nineties but the main majority of the collection is obviously a China very much in transition, you know having um gone through the cultural revolution and opening up to the world as well and on the way towards you know. Breaking into a capitalist society, so it's um, yeah it's opening up of you know their boundaries and uh, you know their factories and their way of life and um, showing off to the world but also trying to bring the world in and and do deals so it's um yeah it's a fascinating collection and i do I do love it there's some great pieces in there um, and I have many favorites so um, but a very interesting collection um Uh, unfortunately uh, as is the bugbear of a lot of archives it really does boil down to copyright issues at the end of the day and that really dictates what you can do with your films so um, fortunately in many many of our collections when we take them in we actually do ask for copyright uh, so that we can even copy them because technically you can't even copy a film uh, unless it's in dire, you know, distress and is, uh, is about to, you know, go the way of, of many films, then there's, um, there's really nothing you can do with them. So um, we do ask for copyright. We do have copyright on the Fox Movie Tone Collection, which enables us to sell it to documentary filmmakers and try and get some of our running costs to help us preserve other films. Um, all of our money goes back into the pre- preservation of the film collection because our running costs are actually Um, covered by the university so um, any money we have coming in from documentary filmmakers or anything like that just goes to more preservation of the film Um, but the Chinese film collection we do not have copyright on um, because uh, many of these films were actually made uh, during the cultural revolution they were actually made by um, technically by production companies that were funded by the government. So technically the Chinese government owns copyright on these films since they paid for them so I don't know if you've ever tried to get permission out of the Chinese government to do something but uh, it is uh, not easy and so unfortunately very few of these films can be shown or seen um, we can't even copy them um, we can't do anything with them we get requests all the time that we have to turn down because um you know, we can't supply them to other people unless they get permission from the copyright owner. And I, I say, look, you're happy. I'm happy for you to go to the Chinese government and ask them. Good luck with that. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, it's an amazing collection. We can't do very much with it. So um, but, you know, again, our, our main priority is to preserve film. So we're preserving these films. One day in the future, we might have a better relationship with China that we could, you know, do something about it, and they could be more widely seen. We're happy to hang on to them till then, and to, you know, do what we can. Um, we actually had such, you know, a good relationship with Confucius Institute that we managed to get some some Chinese students over from the Film Academy in Beijing who helped us uh, catalogue the entire collection. So it's um, got fantastic cataloguing, which enables us to know exactly what we have in that collection, since, um, you know, uh, for us at Merck with no knowledge of Chinese culture, (laughs) it would have been very difficult for us to be able to have a good handle on that collection without that help. So, um, so that's improved that collection and like I said, one day we might be able to do more with it. So we'll just keep it till then and hope for the best.
0: Will one day it become part of the public domain? I mean, not. I don't think
1: that'll ever happen because, you know, again, copyright with China is a wholly different issue that, um, yeah, it could be dependent on on future goodwill, you know, between us and the Chinese government, in which case they might give us permission to do, you know, screenings to uh, the public or to researchers or, um, you know, whatever prizes they wanted to put on it, really, but they might be able to give us, you know, they might enable us to do stuff with it, exactly, but um, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, that really does, that boils down to what we can do is, is as to the copyright, you know, so,
0: our hands are uh, tied. But a, a lot of this is available uh, for the public to consume through the websites, that's, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how if I'm at home and I'm interested in watching a little something that I don't get on, regular television, what is available, and how could I go about seeing it?
1: Yes, well, we do have a lot available, and um, we've been working towards that for the last few years. So um, a few years ago, we had another NEH grant to actually um, uh, digitize a large portion of the Fox Movietone collection. So um, like I said, back in the day when we had our telecine machine, we used to copy onto videotape, and from there we could send copies out to people um, for access purposes. So we had all those videotapes, you know, in-house, which obviously now we move on to scanners, they're kind of a bit obsolete. So we managed to cobble together a grant which would enable us to digitize those videotapes en masse and you know we had thousands of them, um, and they got sent off to a company in Atlanta to do that for us because it would have been you know more than we could handle, and we put all of those up online onto um, a website that we created, uh, which at the moment we're just coming off to move onto uh, one of the university sites as well, so we're kind of in transition. But for that project, we actually ended up putting. Um, I think we have about 11,000 videos up on that website and over 9,000 of them are from the Fox Movie Tone collection. So the majority is Fox Movie Tone, but I've put home movies up there. I've put athletic department films up there. You know, we have regional films up there, our science and nature collection. I have some Chinese film up there where, um, as to fair use with copyright, you can put a fragment of a film up there. So we have just a few examples of the Chinese film collection where we've taken a few minutes of the film and said, you know, this is what it looks like. Um, but yeah, we have yeah, at least 11,000 films up there that you could watch. So um, at the moment, I won't give you that web address because we are in transition of transitioning over to a new system. That's part of uh, university libraries, so everything's going into a new management system called Content DM. And at the moment, I think we have about eight thousand of the Fox Movie Tone clips up there, and um, I'm in the middle of putting up home movies and uh, local television news is also going up there. So we're moving over. We probably have you know um, nine or ten thousand coming up there soon um, and then other collections to follow so um, I can certainly send you to the um, University Libraries digital collections website um, where you know many of their digital collections are housed as well as our video so we're all kind of in one library at the moment rather than us being a standalone website we're we're in with the digital collections. Um, So you can look at manuscripts and you can search all of their collections. So if you're looking for anything to do with something in particular, then it will bring up any manuscripts or books or um, uh, still images or video or film, and it'll all come up in one search so you can see kind of everything we have. Rather than having to go here for manuscripts and here for still images and here for video, you know, we're all now in one system, so it makes it a lot easier to search, but you all will, will get a lot more results, so you might spend a long time on that website.
0: If you're not visiting for research purposes and you just want uh, a little fun for the evening, is there a good entry point into, it's, it seems slightly overwhelming with so much content, uh, If you give any tips for how to start the, that navigation process just for you know somebody who might be
1: curious definitely and i can um, actually since this shutdown happened we started our own youtube channel um, to try and uh, bring us into where the rest of the world searches for video so we have i think we have about 200 videos up there at the moment which kind of gives you a good selection and you know there's a, again a a lot of Fox movie tone, but lots of home movies and lots of um, local television news. So it kind of gives you a little example of some of the things that we have, some very quirky films up there that a lot of people seem to like. Um, For some reason, the most popular one by far has been um, a women's underwater obstacle race that has like, thousands of views compared to you know maybe a handful or you know a few hundred some of the other videos and i think that's from the early 30s um but yeah there's some um some wonderful clips up there so i would say delve in there because that will just give you a a nice example rather than you know getting overwhelmed by thousands of of films that you could watch and then if you like you know you can go to the separate collections that are in the the content dm site and if you just want to look at fox or you just want to look at local television they're up there. So, um, so yeah, lockdown has actually provided um, a lot for us because you know we've done many of these projects that we've been thinking about for ages, like the YouTube channel. We've also started going through and with the help of, of other librarians at Thomas Cooper Library, we're actually trying to make all our videos more accessible to everybody so we've started doing transcriptions of a lot of our films so that you know people who perhaps are eyesight impaired or hearing impaired can kind of read uh, the transcription at the same time um and we're trying to get that onto our, our websites as well so it just makes everything a lot easier for for everybody so um Yeah, lockdown's been very positive for us. We've managed to get a lot more online and uh, make it more accessible to people, so.
0: Do you have something that you could share with us, uh, sort of a quirky, surprising, something that stands out? I imagine that when you open a can of film or you're you're even searching through the digital archives uh, to say, decide what you're gonna put on the YouTube channel, um you're looking at stuff you've not seen before so um a lot of it probably looks very familiar because you've watched a lot of film but is there anything that really jumps out as being you know caught you off guard or particularly unique that you'd like to share with us just as a fun example
1: there's always um i mean there's always interesting stuff in the fox movie collection because there's just you know a lot of quirky stories in there that you know it's it's kind of like even I mean news really hasn't changed much over the years you always had your kind of you know and now for something interesting at the end of the news where they would show you you know puppies or kittens or something weird and you know during the 1930s um during the depression years that was very important for people to have you know their escape was the cinema so you know to have these kind of quirky news items so we have a lot of things from from the 1930s that are like I saw one the other day, which was a woman with the longest hair who had just grown her hair, you know, ridiculously long. Um, There was, uh, there used to be many pole sitting competitions, which I still find bizarre, you know, where people were looking for distractions back then. So it was like, who could sit on the top of a pole for the longest, you know, and you would just have film of somebody sitting on a pole. (laughs) It's like... It's so strange, exactly. Or the mass dance marathons that used to have where people just, you know, literally keep dancing until they collapsed, you know, stuff like that. I still, you know, it still amazes me that, um, you know, and to see that stuff because it's, you know, so far removed from, you know, maybe not so far removed from these these conditions these days, but from what, you know, we all know and take for granted, you know, in modern life that, you know, a lot of people didn't have Anything back then. So, um, so yeah, I, I find those amazing. And, and the same goes for the home movies as well. There's so many home movies where you're, um, to me, I will always love home movies because they are a snapshot of life at that time. You know, it's not what Hollywood said your house should look like or, you know, you, what car you would drive or what fashion you would wear, you know, and, and a lot of the Fox movie tone shows, oh, here's the latest fashions. But home movies shows you what people really wore what the houses look like, you know, the things that were important to them, they filmed. So it's, you know, a lot of the same things. It's Christmas and birthdays and Easter and people dressed up to go to church or going on a picnic with their family. You know, it's them driving off of family vacations, you know, and looking at the sights along the way. But most of it is, you know, their kids and their dogs and their family. and And it's real life. It's really how they lived, what they wore, what car they drove, what they decided was important to them. And it's um, and it's a real snapshot of how people lived. And I find that fascinating, it really is. To see it now, you know, coming up to even 100 years, we have, you know, home movies from the 20s through to the 90s. So, you know, you're looking at 100 years ago, this is how people lived, really lived. This is what we can see. So, I mean, obviously it's skewed because, you know, really obviously back then, you know, only really rich people had money to have a camera and film and, you know, even to go on vacation. <laughs> so um it's a slightly skewed look at life. But as we go through the eras, you know, once you start getting up into the 50s, 60s, 70s, Everybody had cameras, so, you know, we have home movie footage from, um, you know, soldiers that went to Vietnam, who took pictures, you know, while they were stationed over there, but a lot of pictures of their family, so they could, you know, even take them with them, you know, and remember what they've left behind, and, you know, stuff like that is just very... very effective it's very moving so and it you know really did as the years went on it was um you know less of a a rich person's hobby and something that anyone could do so um so yeah there's some great gems in that collection we have um a few which i'm always looking at what you can see in the film what can identify you know now and again there'll be a famous person in the film you know because the family might know them you know we have a collection from um uh, some Cuban political exiles who moved over here, you know, when everything kicked off in Cuba, and um, and the the father of the family actually his cousin was Cesar Romero. Do you remember him from the Batman TV series? <laughs> he was the he was the Joker originally. <laughs> um, so there's one film where he he's I think he's acting. They'd moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, he had been acting in a play in downtown Louisville, I think, and he comes by to see the family. So it's just, you know, normal family sees them. Oh, look, it's Cesar Romero. And it's like, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. So, you know, it's always interesting to see who pops up in these kind of films and, you know, normal things, you're going along looking at stuff and you're like, wait, what's that? It's, yeah, it's always fascinating. And, you know, you'd be the first person to look at this film in, you know, 50 years or something. So it's, um. It's always intriguing. You never know what you're going to find. So it's a fun collection.
0: Is the uh, YouTube channel something easy for people to remember?
1: Yes. So I think it is um, YouTube dot blah, blah, blah. And it's uh, moving image research collections, M-I-R-C is our URL.
0: Okay. So we'll put that in the podcast subscription. But it sounds like a great place for people to start. Um, And then they can delve deeper if they want. Exactly. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I feel like this is a real hidden gem here at the university, um, not just for, from a research point of view, but just from a you know cultural and in- entertainment point of view to see all, be able to see all these films.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we are hidden. and Many people don't know about us. Many people even on campus don't know we exist. So, um, so yeah, we'd love for more people to uh, utilize us, to watch our films and videos. We have a lot of local film that people would be interested in. So, you know, shots of Columbia over, you know, the past 100 years that, that people might want to see, you know, and, and pictures of the university and stuff. So um, yeah, there's something for everyone. There really is.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. We're, I'm looking forward to slo- spending the weekend uh, looking at YouTube and checking out some of these films.
1: Excellent. Please do. There's plenty.
0: Well, thank you very much.
1: All right. You're quite welcome. It was lovely to speak with you. Nice to meet you. All right. You too.
0: The Cogar Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at kogercenterforthearts.com, the official website for Cogar Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit GarnetMedia.org.